Welcome to the program. Here's a clip of the film Farsama, an award-winning documentary in which we have the panelists here with us and we'll have a conversation about the Syria crisis. But take a listen. We'll be back with you shortly. Here, it's my lovely house where I lived. I can't believe that I couldn't come again. No word, no words can describe. What I'm feeling now, we don't want to force to flee out of our city. I got these plants. It will grow out of Aleppo. It's all yours, Michelle. All right, let's get started. Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. If you're here for the first time for the Michelle Miao Show, uh, the show is very much focused on conversations around social justice um, and human rights with an intersectional approach. And it's co-hosted with my co-host, John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club. Uh, we tape every Thursday here at the club. Um, so very, very grateful to the club for putting on this program. With the recent news of President Donald Trump and his decision to pull uh, troops out of northeast Syria, there's been a lot of discussion about Syria. So we're very fortunate to have our guests here with us today. Our guests are the subject and filmmakers of an award-winning documentary for Sama, uh, Wad and Hamza Al-Khatib, uh, who are subjects, and then the film is all based on um, footage that chronicles the experiences of both Wad and, and, and those in and around, their entire experiences, basically, of living in rebel-held Aleppo for about five years, and then met Ed Watts, who is also an award-winning director, who is director of the film. So Ed's not exactly a subject of the film, and I just wanted to make sure that we all understood that. So let's welcome Wad, Hamza, and Ed to the program. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you. I think, you know, to get started, um, for us at least, you know, who've been following the media and much of what we understand of what's happening in Syria is told to, to us through, you know, Western narrative. Um, and even this may seem such a, a basic question. I know that it's not, but to hear from both of you, Wad and Hamza, your your definition, your reason, your justification of you know what is going on in Syria or the Syrian civil war, um, and you know we might understand it to be this is what happened after protests of those who are protesting President Bashar al-Assad, whose family has been in power since 1971. Um, but let's start there. Let's start with if someone were to come up to you and you've lived through this, you've survived it, and ask you what's going on in Syria, what would you say? 
Like the first and the main things it says, like we, like it's a revolution and it's could be some people like named it as a conflict or struggle or just war or whatever. But absolutely, and the main thing to which we need all to be agree with that this is not civil war. And like civil war means that Syrians killing each other, while this is not the case in any period of the whole story. At the beginning, there was normal people like me and Hamza, where we were students at the Lipo University when the revolution started, and we joined this protest for just demanding for our rights as a human being of living in a free country, look, seeking more for democracy and the freedom of speech and at least living in kind of dignity in our country. And these protests, like we've been... Uh, like beaten and killed in the street, being arrested too, and all the violence that you can't never ever imagine that could uh, a government uh, kill their own people in that way. So during the years, it became more like military way of uh, the, the, the situation. And then when Russian inter- and uh, the Iranian forces interfered in Syria, and then America and the Turkish government, and now it's like mixed between all of these forces together. But it's started as revolution, and still until now, as Syrian people, we still have the dream of have a free country out of all these like forces who's now in Syria. Mm-hmm. I will. Well, I describe it very well. I will add that it. I will describe it at the moment. It's just series of bad decisions and lack of action from all over the world that led to the situation that we're living at the moment. First of all, when like nobody stopped Assad from uh, the, the brutal attacks that he had done over uh, on the peaceful protesters and then lack of action when he started to use the, the tanks and aircrafts, lack of action when they started of the first uh, incidents of chemical weapon back in 2013 and Obama's famous red lines that were just wiped by <laughs> the floor with them, Every, like the, the Russian and, and the, the regime, that they, they have used chemical weapons like the, the sarin, which is the, the dang- most dangerous one, uh, five times till, till this moment. And like we're not talking about chlorine gas attack. I've witnessed chlorine gas attack maybe nine times. By, just by myself, so not like we're not talking about this small chemical weapon, and it's just like and then like when the American decided to interfere and decided to not support all the fractions and the parts of the Syrian community in fighting ISIS, they decided just to support one side of that, which were the the fighters, the the SDF fighters. That also led now that all like that series of of mistakes that we're uh, living in. Uh, it's it's that simple, but it's also too complicated with all the interfering of the Russian, Iranian, Hezbollah. There are Afghanis fighters in, in Syria at the moment. The Turkish government, let's say also lack of action from the uh, most of the world in dealing with the refugees crisis, where they're just paying Turkey to help the refugees there. It's not that simple. And all of that led to the situation that we're living in and... As a person who's come from, from Syria and who was displaced before, I don't wish anyone, any civilian who's living in the regime side, whose Kurds are up 
Sunni Shiite to be displaced, forcibly displaced from from his city, and hopefully justice will will happen to all the the, the parties. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm the only one who kind of hears a lot about what has gone on and is going on in Syria, and kind of was thinking of the Thirty Years' War, where Central Europe. You had, you know, a sectarian civil war going on there, largely in Germany or the German lands. And all these other countries got in there for their own reasons and maybe supported this group now and that group later and and fought with each other and just absolutely devastated the country. And there are, are some historians who said that really affected how Germany that survived, that came out of that. And I'm kind of. I mean, if I could just jump in because I studied history, the I I think that is a really valid comparison. But the historical comparison that I think is strongest with what's happened in Syria is the Spanish Civil War, where over three years you essentially had a democratic majority up against a fascistic minority that had the monopoly of military force, that had the intervention in the 1930s. It was Nazi Germany and the fascist Italians that came in to help Franco win in the Syria. We've seen, uh, obviously, the Russians come in and the Iranians and the democratic countries of the world who are the natural allies of people like Wadden Hamza, who should have stood with them when they were peacefully protesting and being slaughtered in the streets because of our... We wrung our hands and we didn't want to make things worse. You know, it was all the road to hell paved with the best intentions. But by our failure to stand with them, we've created much worse problems in the world. We've emboldened fascistic powers and dictatorships everywhere. And I think we've created a lot of problems for ourselves. People always say the Spanish Civil War was like the the prologue before the Second World War. And what I really fear is because of our inaction, you know, we've got a much bigger confrontation to come. On that happy note, sorry, <laughs> but no, no. I mean that that's that that I think really gets to the whole point of people like to. They're going to, there's going to be with what's going on right now in Syria with the Russians basically getting in there and saying, okay, you know, we're the new police force in in this part of Iraq or Syria. There are going to be a fair number of folks, especially in the West, especially in the United States, where you have a very strong, still isolationist desire for folks to say, okay, that problem's taken care of. And be, to- I mean, and, and be totally unaware of, of all the stuff that's going to come out of it because of both decisions of what was done and what was not done. Uh, unfortunately, this is what, what you have mentioned is, is just the reality. And uh, the thing is what we want to, to share with the world, what we want also from this film to understand that to, to remind the world of all the media that you were hearing and reading on the beginning of 2011 and 2012 about all the peaceful protesters, the Syrians that deserve to live in dignity and freedom in their country and their, their main demands. There was like nobody on the media was like has disagreed with that. If you will just follow back what was going on in 2011 and 12, it's all about that. But then we start about ISIS and then the refugees crisis and what's going on. Yeah. And everyone was say manipulated by and forgot the people so it's all become about those like i don't know 50,000 fighters or 10,000 fighters ISIS fighters it's all became about what russian is taking what the american is doing and all of that and we forgot about the people we're forgetting now about 3 million people that are living in nedlib which are the the main area where all the like when we were displaced to Aleppo we were displaced to Idlib when people from Ghouta Homs 
Daran were also displaced to Idlib. Now there are three million people that are also being bombarded by, by all kinds of weapons. Since last April, more than 50 hospitals were destroyed only in this area. And we're not hearing this in the news. The only that we had the New York Times article yesterday, yeah. two days yes, ago, yes. about like two hospitals right. attacked by the, by like clear evidence that Russian aircraft were attacking this. So there are like another 50 cases like this. We're talking about 800 children that were killed only in the past four months. And we're still like, what's going on? Who writes? Like, this, this problem hasn't been taken care of. It, it's not yet. I mean, just to add to that, you know, I think I saw President Trump justifying his decision, said, well, this is all happening 7,000 miles away, you know. And just to follow on from what Hamza said, like, you know, if you think about the rise of ISIS and the refugee crisis, two, two of the things that have come out of Syria, and think about the effect that's had, like, on my country in Britain, you know, would we be leaving the European Union if it weren't for those two things? You know, you can debate that. But I think the fundamental mistake here is believing that somehow we live in these disconnected bubbles, you know, and that we can be over here and those people are in trouble over there and somehow we're not affected in this world we live in we are intimately connected and you can want to be isolationist as much as you want it's not it's not the reality it's not the truth and i think that is what needs to change is people understanding like over the hospitals issue the fact that hospitals now it's legitimate well not legitimate but it's like commonplace for hospitals to be targeted affects us all you know it, these these rules that have kept us safe for so long the use of chemical weapons you know the fact that chemical weapons are now used with impunity on such a scale that has an impact on our safety as well and i think that is what we're trying to get out with this film is conveying the fact that syrians are like we have a stake in what their struggle is yeah so i'm going to go back to the opening of the film and and uh ask a question about wad and hamza's um decisions you know, to be a part of the revolution, as you had mentioned, uh, while trying to survive and then falling in love and then becoming a young mother. And um, as we the film opens up with you talking about going to Aleppo as a university student and you you're talking to your daughter, your young daughter and, and talking, telling her like I'm chronicling this because I want to tell you the reasons why we made the decisions that we made. So. You know, to kind of talk about like what, what, where do we go from here? What do we do? How do we make the problems go away? We don't have the answers just yet, but what we do know is that you have to decide on uh, the will to survive, but also to fight for the injustice if it's what you don't believe in. So that was a really long way of asking you, both of you, um, you know, Wad, you deciding I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to put this footage out there. I'm going to blog. Um, and tell the world what's really going on, which puts you in danger and a lot more, you know, um, everybody is in danger at this point, but puts a lot of, um, it highlights you as a person yeah. living in danger. And then yeah, Hamza, I should, I should say Dr. Al-Khatib, because, uh, it, you know, we chronicle you as the head physician of the hospitals that are being targeted and you have, uh, have seen, you've done a lot, you've, you've, you've saved a lot of lives and has seen a lot of life loss, um, but still decide to stay back, be a part of the revolution, not just a doctor, but an activist. So um, talk to us about, you know, s sticking with that. Yeah. Like the main thing is really, it's not about just both of us or our family. 
Like we lived through that situation for five years and we've seen many people like in our own eyes how they've been killed and many people before who were arrested by the regime and we don't know anything about him, about them all. And until now, we still like hearing from the world that, okay, Assad's still in control, Assad won, and this part of headlines, which usually the uh, some of the articles like started with like, oh, Assad won or something like this. So for us, this is like kind of the story to tell the people that this is, exists. And for both of us, like we could have been killed three years ago and no one could be hear the story, no one will knows like what happened. While we're doing the film now and going around sharing the story and telling the people not just about what they've seen, but also something about more understanding of the Syrian situation, we feel that like this is something it's really important. And it's really not just about today, it's about tomorrow and the next generation and it's about the history that Syria will be written one day about what happened in that years and like we don't, we we will not let Assad to say that this this was about terrorists and this is was like civil war and this is was about ISIS. When people can watch the film and go for one hour and a half to Aleppo and feel that experience, and not just really watch that, but in one point you will put yourself in my shoes, like whatever your situation was, mm-hmm. you will feel that Sama was your daughter, and if you have daughter now or if you are like stuck in. With any person in this world, who, who, the one who you love, you will feel that you are stuck in that with us. Mm-hmm. And like, I hope really that will make a lot of change in people's minds about the Syrian revolution and about us as a human being, how we need to be all together, like uh, as much as we can in different situations. But it's all about a human being who wants just to stay alive fight dignity, be be free and start to think about the safety of yourself and your daughter. And I hope the film will be like giving a lot of chance for people to think more. And I will uh, talk how we became more involved in, in, in the situation and what we, we, we hope about. But since the beginning of 2011, I will talk on behalf, I think, on most of the Syrians. Nobody doubt that the regime was corrupted. Nobody doubt that al-Assad and his father are like dictators. The, the, the question was, should I participate in the change or not? Should I have the courage to participate in this? Because we know that the regime will be brutal against that. It will not, it will not like just people will... Like, it's, not, it's not the U.S. where people can protest. Yeah. <laughs> like in, uh, like, and, and just the government will just let it go. Like it's our right to express ourselves. Yeah, like when you from minute one, that when, when you decide that you will be part of this, you will be like even killed or one of your family will be... Like even if there's no relation between what we are doing and our families but like we knew that we will be putting ourselves and everyone in risks and year by year we become more feel more like engaged and responsible about about what's going on like my plan was never to start a hospital or like become a hospital manager just like treating the the injured and then when east part of aleppo become our like liberated area out of the regime control i also want to 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 help the people there basically i'm not from that area i'm from western side of aleppo so i moved there and then feel still more responsible about about that like day by day we become like there was 10 hospitals in the east part of aleppo the the highest population number i think was in the 
2014 or mid of 2013 was 1.5 million people living in this area. So those turn hospitals become like the health system of, of the area. So after that, it wasn't like an easy decision just to to just like no, I'm like I have we've had enough. That's it. I'm 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 leaving because you know that that decision will affect all population here. Like will affect the health system in the area. There was only about 30 doctors there. So like if one gone, that means like almost like 3.5% of the uh, health system are just like retreating. I think the same thing for, for what? There's no, not a lot of journalists. There was a lot of journalists who just came for a few days and leave, take some footage, and, and that's it. While there is not a lot of journalists that stick to the, to the area and become like feel more responsible to document what's, what's going on. So one day we, we, we save the reality to the, to the people and the next generation. You've brought up a couple times life before the war there. Let, could we go into that a little bit more? I mean, what was the day-to-day life like? What was uh, what kind of information was available? How, was there heavy censorship or, or, you know, travel and all of that kind of stuff? Literally, what was life like under Assad before this war hit? Uh, yeah, so in, in, in general, al-Assad father, Hafez al-Assad ruled Syria for around uh, 40 years. Yeah. And then when we, when he did, we, we all the Syrians, personally, I was very surprised because we were told that he is the immortal leader. That like, we were all shocked. Like, we were really in the streets were like, oh, he's dead. What's going on? Yeah. How come? And I'm sorry, we're both tired. It's 30 years, not 40. Just... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it seemed like forty. Yeah, like, <laughs> it it's both fifty, time. really, yeah. both of them, and yeah, so yeah, far, yeah, yeah, fifty. Yeah, it's so like it's thirty half and century. Yeah, and then after that, because like of the corruption, immediately the the parliament has changed the constitution because Al Assad now uh, Bashar Al Assad was uh, thirty two years old, mm-hmm. and uh, the the age of the president should be thirty six. So in five minutes, they just gathered mm-hmm. and then like all voted that now the, the age of the president should be 32. It's like, it sounds like the right time to do it. And then Assad become ele- like he was elected mm-hmm. with a like, major one because nobody was against him and he got 99.9 votes. <laughs> so after that, we were I will also talk in general, but maybe like my generation, for example, like particularly... We thought that, oh, he, he's a doctor, he was taught in the UK, now he's coming, he understands about democracy, he's not from military background, which is like, okay, that's a new thing. For, not, not a for military Syria. background. Yeah. yeah. And he started, like, we, we started to get the, the mobile phones, the satellites, we got the internet maybe in 2003, which we feel like, oh, like, he's just, like, we got internet in Syria, he's a great president. Cat videos, <laughs> I know, that's yeah. great. <laughs> And <laughs> when we were really like shocked that when you get out and see like any country out of Syria, you yeah. feel like we were so stupid, so naive that we thought that this is a big change in oh. our life. While other people take these things as like guaranteed as in their life, this is basic services you have. So basically, if you are just minding your own business, you're fine. Uh, my generation 
almost like just want to graduate from university and leave the country to work like in a Gulf area, to practice medicine in Germany, the US, and the UK. Like this is the, the dream. Mm-hmm. Either this or you'll be part of the corruption system where you get like to the hospital, uh, university hospital and start to be part of that corruption system to, to develop more. And uh, this is like the every Syrians know that even the pro regime now like the pro regime Syrians will not tell you that this is not a lie or something like they they admit this and the the country year by year become more 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 corrupted we like for just small example we had two uh, telecom companies in in Syria and they were always like in competition doing offers for the Syrians but both of those companies were owned by Bashar al-Assad cousin <laughs> like this is just a, a small tiny thing when you like just more corruption there's no like no, nothing like so even when he provide us with the internet or the mobile phone it was run by his cousin yeah. controlled by the government in a way or another and all the fees were into the went to the to the family and any police officer any soldier can stop you on the street can can you, you may be detained for days without being asking any question Without anyone knows, like, where are you even? Without even daring to ask why you are arrested or families will be afraid to ask about you because they don't want to be involved. And this was just like facts in, in Syria. So when the change happened in, in, in Tunis, Tunisia, and then become to, to Egypt, we start to feel like, like there's other Arab countries that also were like Hosni Mubarak and Egypt were around the country for like 35 years or something. So like we, we have a say, we have a voice. And then it just like became as a snowball when just 20 people were protesting in the street. The next day there were 100. Mm-hmm. Next Friday there were 200. And then we once at the university we were around 20,000 protesters at the university. And this when the tanks got like just they released the army, tanks happened. And people get, of course, like afraid of being more involved in that. Yeah. I- there's a scene in, in the, the film um, in which one of the volunteers in the hospital, I think, uh, just jokingly said, I mean, this will all end the day that uh, al-Assad is, is taken down. What do you think? Is that a, a very, all jokes aside, is that a very true, real statement? It's It's kind of true because... First of all, a lot of the, the victims in Syria, we're talking now about 6 million refugees, almost like a third of the population. They all can get back now to, to Syria because the Assad and Iranians and, and Russians are controlling the, the, the ground. And when he will be at least judged or bring down, a lot of people will feel justice. So it will be like a, a changing point when people will get like start to feel like oh justice has happened or something is is, is really happened, it will be a change a change point in, in 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 the Syrian lives, and also like for the like the, the pro regime and the the, the 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 army because he's the head of the army he's the head of the of everything basically in Syria as any dictatorship, so they will be like less tensed about the change like they will not. Yeah. care a lot about who's coming next it will be an election or no it will be like they will be i think as any dictatorship when like when the gods fall down everything will will be shattered forgive me for not knowing does he have a child 
Yeah, and on the media, he has a child, his name on his father's name, Hafez. Hafez. So his name now Hafez oh. al-Assad. And all over the media, the they, Syrian media, they're preparing himself like he's the next how, leader. How old is he? Fourteen. Mm. Uh, so yeah. they, they pass a new law that allows him to be president at 15. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something to look you forward don't to. Know, really. Believe me, it might happen. Like, yeah. it, might, it, might, it might happen. They were just, like when you see the, the media post about it, it just like, they talk about it very proudly, like he's like the son of Al-Assad and like our next, like when an interview with him, like, yo, uh, like, are you now trying, like, what is your plans when you like become the leader and want to change the country and all of that? And he's proudly saying like, yeah, like not like if I was elected or something like, yeah, yeah well, we will do this. I'm studying this. I want now to focus on my study first and all of that. In all the media, mm-hmm. they call it like in, in our books, yeah. when we study like elementary school, school, secondary school, they call it Al-Assad Syria. Like it's not like something hidden yeah. or like we're surprised. We were raised up that this country is for Al-Assad family. Like it's everywhere. His picture with the flag and they call it like Al-Assad Syria. Oh. I, asked, I asked that question, you know, a lot of the film, um, which gives you a, a raw look at um, the attacks on the hospitals and the universities and innocent civilians who become casualties of this, this war uh, uh, or, you know, and, and if we, if we're talking about a, a solution and taking out this dictator uh, who is backed by some pretty powerful foreign forces, the current decision by a big, uh, you know, country like the United States, and as powerful as it is, to withdraw uh, its allyship of, of or, or, or I guess what I'm trying to say is withdrawing itself from this, the situation. And then Turkey giving the explanation that, well, they're trying to clear this area, and that's why they're doing the attacks when the troops had left, because they want to resettle a lot of the Syrians who have yeah. become refugees. And going back to what Wad had said, and and also Hamza, I mean, it's so complex, it's so complicated that there is no real clear answer because there are so many different stakeholders. Yeah, and and what's this <laughs> happening? Um, but at the same time, if we shed light to the you know the atrocities of this regime um, and Assad, you know, how how are we going to be able to do that if big forces like United States you know pull away? Or what are your thoughts? <laughs> you handle this one. I, I know. I, I, have, I have like 10 minutes, <laughs> 10 minutes left before yeah. we open up to our audience for questions. So keep in mind, you get to ask um, our guests questions too. And so I got to get that in because, you know, when I heard that explanation and I see from your film, like, you know, the, the people hurting the most are the civilians. We have to shed light on this. So that exactly. means we have to take someone like Assad down or, or reduce his power. How are we going to do that when he has so much power from international forces? And who do we turn to um, to, to get behind this? I think there's like many small steps which could lead at least to one action where we can call, all agree about, which is, for example, we did a screening at the UN and we were like so angry with them about how they're dealing with this stuff until now because unfortunately like Hamza mentioned just 50 hospital in the last four months and in all this uh, like UN statement after every bombing they like saying that the hospital was bombed 
without even mention who's responsible for doing this. Mm-hmm. And that's one of their like explanation about this because the Russia is a member of the Security Council. So we can't point at them and say like oh, Russian bombed these hospitals. And also there is not like there is no investigation with clear evidence about who's bombing this. Even if the only flight who's flying over this area is the Russian and the Assad regime. So it's, you know, like the gap between what the reality need to be and where we are now. It's like so big. And I think every effort in every place could work very well. If we just were speaking about people in the street to know that this war is not over yet. And Assad is the one who is responsible of all these crimes, like with the Russian also. And then if we went to more like political way of like the UN or Security Council and all these people to put some pressure on these people to say, if you can do something, at least like save this for the history. Don't put it in the passive tense as we don't know who's doing this because this is part of like faking the history and faking what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And both of us, as we say, like people who lived the story, I feel so bad when I've seen all these countries, they can't even name it. And for us, it's like, you know, killing us twice, one when they're bombing us and the other one when they, oh, we don't know who's bombing this. But everyone knows, and this is so clear for everyone. So really any effort could work is if you are a journalist and you wrote about it and shed the light more about, about what's happening. If you are a mother and, you know, like take your child to watch the film if it's in, in good age to watch it and... Or at least like tell them about what's going on in other place around the world. Try to be more open about what's happening, not just in Syria, but in all over the world, which is something need to be all more connected and more together for world, hopefully, that we can really make change. And, oh, sorry, ahead, I was ahead. just going to add, like one of the things I think that people may not realize is that Assad had basically lost until the Russians intervened yeah. in the scale that they did. Mm. You know, if the Russians hadn't come in September 2015, and they came in heavy, they did, I think, by their own statistics, 72,000 airstrikes in that first year. And I think what, and it comes down to Wad's point about drawing the dots of connection. You know, the same Russians that were responsible for propping up Assad are the Russians that messed with your elections, you know, who poisoned someone in a town in southern England, you know. There is this government that is at the moment sowing a hell of a lot of problems and supporting, you know, these deeply corrupt and dark regimes. And what's interesting about the Russians, though, is that they do seem weirdly susceptible to their reputation. So when this New York Times piece, uh, as we mentioned, came out like three days ago, and the evidence was extraordinary. I don't know whether everyone saw it, but, you know, they had Russian, they had the transcripts of the conversations with the Russian pilots mapped to the time where, like, you know, you had a pilot saying, I've done it. And then the bomb dropped two seconds later and the plane was seen and identified and photographed directly over the site. I mean, the evidence could not be stronger. And the Russians like deny everything, you know, it's not true. And there's something about like that and Russia, you know, and the fact that like the Russian people are not their government as well, you know, and if they're and the Russian people are fed up with a lot of aspects of Putin's government. And if there's some way to empower them or to put pressure on the Russians, you know, to um, to basically shame them in a public sphere, they are a member of the Security Council, you know, they take their position seriously. And that pressure is a way to help 
what's happening in Syria because it's majority in hospital attacks specifically. The Russians are the only ones who have the precision weaponry to hit hospitals directly. And so again, it's them. They are the ones that need to be called out. And that might be a means in which we can do something to help all of us <laughs> with this malign actor in the world. Help. Go ahead. Sorry, I would just add something also like reality that everyone, I don't know why they, they always, like, this reality is not highlighted. In 2013, like right before ISIS raising, the the head of the uh, religion in, in, in the regime, call it Mufti, it was a public interview and he was saying, because Obama was threatening of, of like there will be the red lines and the chemical attack yeah. and all of that. And he was like very clearly, the interview is still still there, clearly saying that if the foreign countries, if the Western countries decided to interfere in Syria, we will like overwhelm them with suiciders, with jihadis. And this is exactly what happened. And yet all the media was about al-Assad and Russian are fighting ISIS. But like this was very clear statement from one of the head of the regime, like officials, say, staying, stating that we will make you afraid of the jihadists and we will create ISIS. Again, I'd like to, to distort you about what's, what's the reality is happening in Syria. Let's uh, stretch this a little bit just because we kind of are facing some of the same questions in Yemen. And again, what should the U.S. involvement be? What, you know, or should it not be? And, you know, I guess we decided we're sending troops to Saudi Arabia, which already is, I think, the third largest military budget in the world is Saudi Arabia's, but they need our troops. Um, but I mean, do you see uh, this kind of, this, some of the similar things happening in other areas, or is each situation? Uh, of course, there are some details in each situation, sure. but in general, the people who are living in a conflict area, hospitals are being also targeted in, 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 in Yemen. And, but like, it's always different interests from, uh, from the Western go- governments. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, should the Western government be involved or not? It's about the decision whether they should be involved with a good intention towards the people of those countries or towards their, their, their interests. Mm-hmm. Because you can't say, like, for example, in Syria, we can't say that the U.S. wasn't involved. Like, they mm-hmm. were there. They had bases. They were there since 2000, I think, like, late 2015. Mm-hmm. But, like, still the involvement, as I said, was is only with one part of the society, the, the SDF fighters, and, like, there are different rules. Those fighters were just, like, uh, empowered by, by the U.S., not the other fractions mm-hmm. of, of the society. And it's also led to all now the war crimes that will happen because of the Turkish involvement against those fighters that were having the power before. So it's just like, still, it's just not to, inv- like, not to involve is bad because you still like the, like those few governments are the world's leader. Nobody can deny this. And, and if, if it is just like, one very important point, if it wasn't involvement and we don't want anyone to be involved, but at least like make the Russian out. Nobody involved. You know, like, either you're yeah. involved altogether or nobody involved, please. <laughs> yeah. No, and really no one involved is much, much better for all of us to like, we can deal with this uh, by our own people with everything. Uh, but at least if we can, like all the Russian exists in Syria, it's against the U.S., 
in a different way. Like the, it's another battle on right. another ground. And right. it's very clear for everyone that we are the people who are paying that price. But at least if you can do anything, at least you can as a big country in this world to stand against another big country to say like, this is not your like place to be in. And that's it. Mm. Wow. Um a lot of goosebumps, you know, throughout this entire conversation, uh, especially about Russia. I will just yeah. say that this might be the the, the hardest panel yeah. or broadcast I've ever been to. <laughs> <laughs> like, how can we solve the Syrian crisis? I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, I know. Does, I, I know. know how to survive. Like, this is what I've done. Well, well, <laughs> well, let me ask one that, that yeah. is very targeted to what you, you've gone to, and targeting is a bad word. <laughs> but and this is a, maybe a dumb question coming from me, but it also shows why I would be a very bad warlord. Why target hospitals? Is it just to create hell for people? Or is it, are they thinking they're targeting enemy fighters who are hanging out in hospitals? I mean, what's, why that and not other places? Can I just say before these guys answer, one very important point is that even if there are enemy combatants in a medical facility, it's a war crime under any circumstances to target a medical facility. Baseline, you know? So, anyway, and. Uh, Since. When was that? The mid of 2012, one doctor, Syrian doctor, mm-hmm. told me, like, be, be, be aware that they will start to, to target hospitals now. And I was like, like, no, they, like, no, they're not. Like, they, I know they're targeting civilians, but they're not going to target hospitals. Like, it's just, like, it's a thick red line. And he told me, like, the, the, the Syrian regime is using the Russian military tactic. And in the, I'm not sure if this 100% true, but it obviously is. Because this is, he told me, like, the, the, the Russian military tactic and, like, their uh, golden rule that killing an, an enemy doctor worth 10 times more than killing, t- like, 10 soldiers. So it just breaks the wills, the will of, of, of the people. If, like, yeah. hospitals been targeted, people can't, they don't know, like, where to go when they are injured. They just break the will to, to stay there or to survive. And then they will just, as all the victories that they have done, they just come to empty cities. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. Sorry. No, you... I love this Classic. panel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, when Daraya is a small city near uh, Al Ghouta in uh, Damascus countryside, it was sieged for five years. There was only like it's all the 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 city people that there was no ISIS, no foreign fighters, no jihadists, just all the people who tried to decide to carry open and defend themselves. Mm-hmm. Yet they were sieged and bombed by the Russian and regime for almost five years. And one of the doctors told me like. The, the, the moment uh, that the last hospital in this city was destroyed, the next day we just, like, surrendered and we were displaced. He told me, like, the next day of that attack that destroyed the hospital, there were several attacks on the city and, like, women, children, men, fighters were just coming with, like, broken limbs and we can't do anything. We were just putting, like, as we were in, I don't know, like, 1760, putting, like, just woods... Yeah. Uh, to 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 fix the the limb, and we don't have X-ray. It's all broken. It's all destroyed. We can't do anything. And just when we had more patients and injuries, injuries, injuries coming, the next day we just like, please, just let us go alive. And this is where the tactic in in Aleppo. When they seized Aleppo, there was ten hospitals, and in six months they destroyed nine. And the only hospital, Al Quds Hospital, that I was running, that wasn't destroyed because we moved to a new building. The WHO called me twice to give them the location 
of the hospital and I refused. Mm. And they didn't know exactly where the hospital is to be to be targeted. I mean, I'd just say as well, early in the conflict, uh, I heard from a American like State Department guy and he said, you know, the, the government, the regime, Syrian regime took a clear decision that they would stop at absolutely no horror. Uh, or atrocity to stay in power. I mean, they are the original terrorists, the ones who've used chemical weapons, the ones who've arrested people just from being from a particular part of town, who have, like, killed children, who have... And, and bombing hospitals is part of that pure terrorism, basically, to destroy a people and to say to them, like, if you stand against us, there is no act of savagery that we won't commit in order to destroy you. I do want to say, I mean, opening up this very difficult... Uh, question of what do we do now? Um, you know, you know, Wad, you say in the film, I mean, what you've put out there in the media and, and telling folks what's happening in Syria has reached millions and millions of people in this age of like social media, but yet uh, there hasn't, there hasn't been a lot done and over half a million people have died and uh, millions of people have been displaced and resettled, you know, out of their homes so I think a part of the reason of asking that difficult question is coming back down to revealing, you know, the most corrupt, the most um, the those in power who are who are really uh, complicit in, you know, these acts of human violations. And so now, with that being said, it's your turn to ask the hard questions if you have them. So if you've got a question for our our guests. Uh, please speak into the mic. It is being recorded for our program. Uh, for a little more background, uh, what is your understanding of the interests of Russia, of Iran, of Turkey, and the Kurds? What, is their, <laughs> what are their prescribed interests? Every one of these needs, like, research to explain. <laughs> Two hours. Exactly. Yeah. And okay. everyone different. Research really. institute, too. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, like, in just simple answers, the Russian is very interested in the Syrian coast. Where all the the gas is 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 there, the and also it's like stand against the USA in yeah. one place where it's the Middle East as Israel is there because of the USA. So Russia yeah, it's, now it's, here it's in their Syria last is foot in, in 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 the Middle East. This is like will be will be Syria. They've lost. They don't have any like foot in in in, in the Gulf area. They don't have in Iraq. So it's like this the last place where they can. Be say like we're also a big player <laughs> in this world. Uh, the, the the Iranians always want like the the dream is to connect in a way or another Iran with Iraq with Syria and Lebanon uh, through all the uh, religion religion Shia, Shia. Like to, to to exact just to increase the the religion. They're also they're not a religion country. They're just like also another form of dictatorship. But they're using the religion. As like I don't know, like the 18th century, where like they were, they were the the, the government, like the the leaders were using the religion to rule the people. So their aim always was to connect these areas, and by this, there will be no ever like any band will work against them if they able to to to. Now they have a, a, a big stake in Iraq, and now in in, in Syria. And in Lebanon, so this is always was their their dream. Um, between the Turkish government and the Kurds, which is like a very historical problem between mm. them and like Turkey, like as much as there is a lot of benefit of being as like neighbor of this country, and now all the refugees, most of them between Turkey and Syria, but it's also like 
like there's a real crimes it's happening now against the court and SDF which is also part of the parties who's they have also their own own war crimes crimes against the courts in their places and against the Arab also and they are as were supported from the USA before now they have no supporter and now it's more about between them and the Turkish government and now it's like we've just two days ago start speaking about giving this area for the Russian and the regime again. So which is like many, many civilians who living in that place will be under attack again. And I don't know, like, it's, yeah. yeah this is like, the, like the, the Turks always want to expand like that 32 kilometers of dream of taking from, from Syria Part of the Kurds, not all the Kurds, were always had that dream of Rojava, like to have their own uh, country. country inside Syria to rule or like federal to, to rule. It's all different interests. And unfortunately, like each one of those parties getting an allies to like if, if you if you think about it, like Russian, like with the uh, like they've been never allies for the Islamic State in Iran. But yet they're all that like uh, alliance between different parties that we, we've said it might be just change one day or another. Basically, everyone is fighting everyone in Syria and at the moment. Unfortunately, all of this, no one of them thinking about any of their own people, like not in every place, even, I don't know. It's all complicated and the only people who are real victims are the civilians who are living under the, their control which is really like disaster in a- every place of this. People are suffering until now and they are threatened to be like killed from another party or uh, like displaced, which is, it's not safe place to anyone of all these people to, to live in that uh, country. Thank you. We have a question over here. This was a very enlightening conversation. So I'm glad to be here. Um, how can we watch the documentary? Because if we cannot watch it tonight, is there another way? Yeah. Uh, the film um, will be screened in many places from, from now until November, but the main Yeah, uh, DC, version. we're releasing in DC, um, and it will be on PBS Frontline, I think. On the 19th, of 19th, November. 19th of November. It's a slightly shorter version than the cinema version. but still, Yeah, but it's also still there. Very good. <laughs> and we hope also there's streaming on Frontline also, front so you can, well. if you missed that date, I like you can go to the website and you can watch it again. How, how old is your daughter? Uh, how old is like, your daughter? Yeah, uh, I have two. One who, uh, Sama, which is we dedicated the film to her. She's now four years old. And when we left Alipo, she was one year. And I have the second one. Her name is Taima, and she's two and a half. Um, so you mentioned that there's a difference between regimes and the people. Um, how would you like this, your documentary, to be seen by the by the American public, and how do you want them to respond to that? Uh. <laughs> this is the difficult panel I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> I, I take that as a compliment. Exactly. <laughs> so, like the the main thing is when people will watch the film, you will like by yourself, you will realize that these people are like us all and like everyone here or everyone around the world. Normal people just want to live and seeking for better life for them and for 
their next generation. So you are you will forget about anything outside of that, and you will focus about these people and these stories, and you will be ha you will have that chance to live that experience by yourself in that situation. So you already will will forget about the regimes. You will just think about these people, and you will care after the, watching the film about these people as you know them. And what we want people to to do is more really uh, like real way of thinking now. After we screen the film in many places around the world and in many places, even in the US, in different places, we've come up with many people come to us and say like, what can we do? And for this question, really, we've tried to do an impact campaign following the film and giving people specific tools so people can be more interfered in this. So we create a website called Action for Summer, which is, will be public hopefully the next two weeks. And in that website, there's many different things to do as a normal person or if you are like specific things. And I hope people can really be engaged more with the film. And it's maybe it seems like so, small things, But I still believe that all these small things will like be together as a big movement, putting a lot of pressure on the politicians in our countries now and in uh, in the people themselves to start make more awareness and save what what happened in Syria as a story, as something will be built in the history itself and it will not be really like forgotten or lost. Um. Sometimes in the U.S., I find that it's difficult to find um, truthful, unbiased news. But you or people living in Syria, how do you find unbiased news? Because I would imagine that there's a lot of propaganda and kind of brainwashing and kind of like what you mentioned that you through your school years, you learn that this is who's in charge and this is the country belongs to this person. So how do you then um, how are you able to differentiate what's real and what's not? Uh, basically, like living these circumstances and also like with different like parties that were also fighting in uh, non-government control area, they also had their propaganda trying to tell between civilians that they are the right people and those people were fighting against them and all of that. So basically living the story, you, you can't, Not not only living by the story, but I think like now with all the the media resources and all of that, you can easily like see like this is a huge propaganda. Like this is not what what really happened. If it even if it was a story in like in in a Chile or in another country, like you say like ah oh, this is too big to be to be to be real, and uh, this is like the the main thing. But what I want to 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 add or to build on on your question. So I will tell you when when we were in in Aleppo, and we were hearing listening like to other news and to other like trends that were happened, we truly felt that oh the people now will not watching anything that's happening to us. So when sometimes like the Russian was doing like were, like they they were bombing bombed like a, a school or something, and like I remember fifty three children were killed in one of the the attacks at their school. The other day ISIS has beheaded one of of their prisoners and we like i remember myself saying like like nobody will hear about those children anymore nobody will pay attention to them that's it like they're just 53 souls has gone and none of the people of the other of the rest of the world will pay attention to it so i feel like all those trends that's happening just like 
pointing the, the people's eyes to, to a different place rather than what's, what's the reality that was happening in, 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 in that country. And there's really many, many uh, research centers who's doing a lot of great work around the world, and many of them are here in the USA. Uh, like, it's really clear in very, very places about who's responsible about this and how, like, none of the uh, statements that we, we've, while we were searching more about the facts of what people know about Syria outside, it's like, we, you've seen that all the people are very interested about ISIS and what's happened in Syria, and most of them seeing like, ISIS, it's the responsible of this. And one of the, uh, like, research center in uh, Washington, D.C., it's called MENA Institute. Like, they have their own research about what happened in Syria, and you can see, like, like 85% of the death in Syria responsible is, is, the, is the responsibility of the regime and 5% uh, by ISIS. So when people can read this, it's really shocked number about how people think this is the problem and how it is really on the ground. Well, first, thank you. And I'm so glad that you guys made it out alive and was able to bring everything that you've filmed into this comprehensive film that is now going to be shown across the world. I think it's going to be really powerful. My question to you is when you brought these footages out I'm curious um, what that experience was like for you. Are you safe now that the film is out? Are there people who are going to be still targeting you? And for other people who are trying to film uh, footages from war zones and other unfortunate places, how do they get their, you know, their videos out? And what is that process like? Like when... Unfortunately, really, we still feel that like there's nothing called safe in this world, especially like with hearing a lot of uh, like the guy who was poisoned in the US, uh, the UK okay. by the Russian forces. There's really no, no safe place. But also at the same time for both of us, like to be alive now, telling the story and sharing what's happened. It's not just about like us. It's about a whole country who's now falling in a lot of complication, why the film could be a very easy way for people to understand that. So, like, we had that decision since we left, and we've sat together and said, like, we both knew that we could have been killed inside. So being outside doesn't mean that we are now the survivor and that's it. We need now bigger responsibility of taking one step to let the people know the story and see that. So... We knew both that this is not safe and this is, could be more dangerous of what we lived through. And not but only not only for us, for like both of our families yeah. has to left Syria. Uh, my family had to left Syria because of the uh, uh, of me being walking in a hospital. They were threatened by like several people that we will tell the regime that your son is helping the terrorist and his doctor in this area. So they had to flee. Uh, Aleppo and also what parents has to to flee because we know that at one point the the regime might hurt us by arresting our our beloved and this is just a common uh, practice by 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 the regime so we knew this but this is like you know we survive not just like to be alive there's really big things especially with all this archive that I have and for the second question about other people who've filming in different places like I don't know like really what the 
what to do in this because I knew how many people they've tried to protect their archive and they didn't, they weren't uh, like lucky enough to do this. But it's always just about the main things that everyone can take about like make as copies as you can, uh, like put all this archive with a password or a different kind of protection. And always you need someone who's outside of that area to know this password and where is this archive in case anything happened. And just like, you know, believe that you will be survived and you will get out with this and like hopefully people can really make it. Um, we're this, it, that was a great question because it actually was part of my last question for you. So I'll make this very quick so we have time for that. Um, your footage is evidence of war crimes. And I can't imagine that, you know, any of these leaders who will will see the film or parts of it or it gets out that there will be some kind of response. And so that dovetails to this question of the United Nations Security Council has already put pressure on some of the, you know, um, on, on this, that there has to be something done, but no, nothing's come out of it. Do you feel, do you have hope or confident that at least if this film gains the popularity or more people see it, more, you know, people of power, uh, that that maybe could move the needle with the conversations that are taking place? We've not just really hoping this. We're trying so hard with this. And the film is really well received around the world. We've been like to many, many places. And we've did in the UN screening. We have, we did also a parliament screening at the UK. And we're still, like, seeking for any politician or people who can really make decision to go and speak with them and show them the film and speak more about what can they really do. And with this impact campaign, which we're trying to do, is, like, also putting a lot of things in very uh, real way about an actions. Uh, but also uh, the, main, the main things about the future and what we want to do as accountability or justice we have also working with an organization called Physicians for Human Rights. They are based here in the USA in New York. And they are building out of cases about uh, hospitals who have been bombed. And they did a case study about Al-Quds Hospital, who, the place where we lived in. And we're trying also to work with many other photographers who were in Aleppo to build all the uh, archive about uh, any health facilities being bombed or targeted. And as like just make the basic uh, archive for any lawyer or uh, office uh, about justice who can take this archive to make a lawsuit against Assad and the Russian. And I will just add also is this like or say like this film is aware of to telling the people what was going on in Syria. It's just awareness. I think the more people in the West will be like bringing Syria back to the news. And more of questions will be asked to the representative, like in the parliament, in the Congress, the president, what's, what's your plan to Syria? Like you can't say like this happening 7,000 miles away and it's not our interest because people will start to demand about it. The, the Washington Post has a question for the president uh, candidates. <laughs> Are you willing to open uh, the relationship back with, with Syria? I think seven like refused to answer. Few said yes and few said no. Uh, so I think like with... The, like for the American citizens, when they see the film, they will understand. Like it's not like no, like doesn't matter if they reopen the relationship with the regime or not. But will you be able, like will you accept to vote for a person 
who has no problem to open the relationship with the war criminals, people who has been killing their own people, using chemical weapons, etc. So I think part of this awareness will, will, will push the people to push their governments again to, 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 to really bring back Syria to, to their thoughts. Lots of great things to take away as we head into the 2020 presidential election here in America. Thank you so much for joining us here for the program. Thank you to our amazing guests. I mean, gosh, this was a privilege. It was an honor. And we're just so fortunate that you're able to be here with us today. So give a big round of applause for Ed Watts, uh, Hamza, and Wad Al-Khatib. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Make sure you check out the film For Sama, and that will be aired on PBS's Frontline for many of us who aren't able to make it to D.C. anytime soon. Okay, or check the website. Uh, there will be the different of screening, like on, on the screen. ForSamaFilm.com. You can find nearest screening to you. Perfect. We'll see you next time.